morning. This morning we have uh, Dr. Rock LaJoya from Grace Theological Seminary with us. Rock and his wife, Kathy, are members of Wabasee Bible. Rock has served in leadership in our church. He's been a pastor in a previous free church. And uh, Rock, we're just really grateful for you. He leads the Doctorate of Ministry program, the DMIN program down at Grace Theological Seminary. And so for those of you who may not know him, let's welcome Rock. Thankful for you, brother. Can you hear me? Testing, one, two, three. All right, very good. Thank you. Yeah, and I just wanted to point out, because uh, as you know, we sent Josh out, what was it, three weeks to be, three weeks ago, I don't know, you tell me. Yeah, somewhere in there. Um, I was preaching last Sunday at Community Grace, or Community Gospel, I should say. Pastor Jordan, uh, is, he was here, right? Didn't he preach here? Pastor Jordan Muck. And I heard many, many good things. The people were blessed by Josh's ministry. Of course, you knew that, but it's just nice to hear that uh, our pastor is going around and blessing others in addition to us, right? It's a blessing from God. So thanks, Josh. All right, we are in Proverbs uh, 12, 25. If you're not there already, you can turn there. It's a very short verse. And um, I'm sure some of you are thinking, wow, he's got one verse, short message. Well, you don't know my math formula. It's a little bit different than yours. This may not be, probably will not be a short message. Let's hope it's a good one, but it may not be a short one, all right? But it's always good to speak to the author before we talk about him. The author of this text is the Lord, ultimately. And so let's speak to him in prayer, and then we will dig in, shall we? Father, we want to thank you for breathing out this portion of Scripture. Uh, the, the Proverbs are just what we need today. There are all kinds of confusing voices out there, some very seductive in what they are saying. And if we don't think clearly, we can be misled. We thank you for the insight and the perception that your word gives. And we pray as we look at this particular verse in Proverbs, that you would make it live in our hearts and minds, that it would get in our bloodstream as it were, and that we would continue to live this out, maybe in a stepped up manner as your spirit empowers us. And so, Lord, we all want to do your will and be encouragers. We need your help. And so we put ourselves before you and say, Holy Spirit, control us, guide us, empower us, and help us to be a blessing to others who are in need. We pray all this in the majestic name of Jesus and all of my friends said, amen. amen. Praise the Lord. We are in Proverbs 12:25, and I'm going to begin quoting a portion of an article from just about one month ago, in fact, uh, June 11th. It's entitled, it's written by uh, Aaron Hawkins, he's an MD, entitled, What Does the Future of the Mental Health Pandemic Hold? He's looking into the future and trying to diagnose possibly where things are going. Here's what he writes. Health experts across the country agree we are in the midst of a mental health pandemic and have good reason to believe that this mental health crisis will lead to increased cases of depression throughout the year. Now, perhaps you know somebody who you think might be in a state of depression, and I'm sure you would like to help them. We're gonna talk about that in a moment. He continues, this debilitating illness currently impacts more than 17.3 million American adults with research showing rates have tripled as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. And then the doctor adds, 
46% of parents said their teen showed signs of worsening mental health. Parents were forced to juggle their careers and childcare, causing an increase in depression, stress, and loneliness. Job loss also contributed to an increase in rates of depression or anxiety at 53.4%. I hope you're not getting depressed. I'm not trying to depress you. I'm just reporting what's out there today. He finally adds, unfortunately, depression and anxiety are not the only lingering effects. We've seen patients who have relapsed, leaning back on substance use in an effort to alleviate the feelings of hopelessness that the uncertainty of the pandemic has brought on, unquote. Now, it's good to pause once in a while and think about where we've been, as sad as it is. We do need perspective. And we've been through quite a bit, obviously. I think the social isolation, among other things, has taken a toll on many of us. All of us were created to be social creatures. The Trinity is such, Father, Son, and Spirit, they've been fellowshipping together from eternity past. And we're made in the image of God. We are to reach out and connect to one another, right? And when we don't, something unhealthy happens. Whether you're the ultimate shy person or the most outgoing person out there and everything in between, every human being needs fellowship and connection, right? Of course, that's been shut off for a while with some bad results. All of us probably know of someone or at least heard of someone who has died directly due to COVID or indirectly due to COVID-related complications, we'll call them. Um, I heard of, and you probably are aware of some who lost a loved one and had to watch them die via video because the hospital wouldn't allow them in. And of course, they could not go there in person to give their final farewell. I mean, how bad can it be, right? I mean, that's awful. And facing that does have some implications. It's not always easy to shrug off. It's probably not even healthy to do such. And is it any wonder that so many people are facing life's hardships with a very heavy heart, with anxious thoughts? Well, what about you? Do you have uh, family members, friends, coworkers, whose minds are flooded with anxious thoughts and you can just see them biting their fingernails, wringing their hands and they're reporting not sleeping at night, tossing and turning, very worried about a number of things. Has anxiety weighed them down? Do you see it in their countenance? Sometimes you can see it. Do they have a heavy heart? And are you at a loss to know how to help them? Where do I begin? What do I do? What do I say? I think this is beyond me. I don't know what to do. But you really do want to help. And if that's the case, I've got some good news for you from this text. We're going to see it as soon as we look at it. And that is that God has prescribed a cure for a heavy heart. There's no better physician than the great physician, right? With all due respect to other doctors. God himself, the one who wired us and created us and knows how we work to our optimum, that God has written down a prescription for a heavy heart. And so already we should feel a little bit empowered anyway, knowing that there is a way forward. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. 
But what I propose to do with you this morning, if you are willing, is to entertain two questions. First of all, what causes a heavy heart? And then secondly, where I really want to go, which is what cures a heavy heart? What causes a heavy heart and what cures a heavy heart? First question, what causes a heavy heart? I'm glad you asked. Thank you for asking. Now I can proceed. Here's the answer, and that is anxious thoughts weigh down the heart. This is where it begins, in the mind. Anxious thoughts weigh down the heart. I'm sure from time to time people wonder, where do preachers get all their material from? Where do they get their points? Are they just making this stuff up? Well, let me show you where I got that first point from, okay? Remember, the point is anxious thoughts weigh down the heart. Now look at the text, Proverbs 12, 25. Let me know if it sounds familiar to you. Depending on your translation, anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down or weighs him down, depending what you have there. Sounds pretty close to what I have, right? I'm pretty safe when I stand on the Word of God, right? I don't want to venture out from there. So what do we do with this verse? First question I have looking at that, anxiety in a man's heart, what does the heart refer to? Is it this organ that pumps? I think the word can be translated mind. And so anxiety in a man's mind, excessively anxious and fearful thoughts, tax the mind. They burden the soul. They even drain the body. The body pays a price when uh, anxiety is left unchecked. Here's a more proper definition. Anxiety, what is it? There are plenty of definitions out there. This one comes from the Mayo Clinic. And as you know, they are really good at diagnosing problems with the body. So you're going to get some physical diagnosis here as well. Here's how it reads. Anxiety, intense, excessive, and persistent worry and fear about everyday situations. Not just the big stuff, will a nuclear bomb explode in America anytime soon, but even the day-to-day -day things that we all face, right? Everyday situations, fast heart rate, rapid breathing, sweating and feeling tired may occur. You see, excessive anxiety can lead to depression. And I believe that's what the phrase refers to there. See where it says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down? That, I believe, speaks of depression. And so, what are the signs of depression? How do we know when somebody is depressed? Listen carefully. This comes from Collins. He's a counselor, Christian counselor. He writes, sadness, apathy, and inertia, which make it difficult to, quote, get going or to make decisions, loss of energy and fatigue, which often are accompanied by insomnia, pessimism and hopelessness, fear. Oh my, there's a lot of fear in our culture today. And I really do believe this is my own commentary. If you disagree, I still love you anyway. You can't control that. I'm going to love you anyway. But I believe there are actually people in our culture who are purveyors of fear, who want us to live in fear. Whatever the crazy reason is, they're promoting fear. And therefore, many people are in fear, I would say, undue fear. An inability to enjoy pleasurable events or activities, and often a loss of appetite, unquote. Anxious thoughts weigh down the heart. So what I would like to do is look at anxiety from a couple different angles, at least, 
and try to get a broad view of what it is, okay? It's always good to understand what the problem is before we address the remedy. So let me say, first of all, that intense anxiety can lead to what I'm going to call, for lack of a better word, spiritual depression. Spiritual depression. So what does that mean? Well, our relationship with God loses its vitality. Instead of ascending to heaven, our praise falls right down back to earth, and our hope sinks like a rock. Intense anxiety also leads to, in addition to spiritual depression, what I'm going to call psychological depression. Our vigor, our passion and enthusiasm is flattened under the weight of a heavy heart. Even the normal responsibilities of life become a burden, flossing our teeth, tying our shoe, all of it's, man, I can't even get out of bed. This is, this is work. We get weighed down. This comes from uh, Bridge, uh, Michigan, is, is the name of the magazine, uh, June 30, so less than two weeks ago, really. It's entitled, Delta Variant is Increasing in Michigan, Prompting Coronavirus Surge Fears. Here's what it says, get ready. Michigan's top public health officials worry that rising numbers of the Delta coronavirus variant may spark another surge of COVID-19 cases. The variant, which has triggered waves of new cases in India, the UK, and Southeast Asia, has increased in Michigan for the past three weeks, with cases detected in 15 counties, up from six counties two weeks ago. In a report issued Wednesday, a team led by Dr. Sarah Leo Callow warned that, quote, there is potential for another surge in Michigan as the variant spreads because it is 50% more contagious than the B117 variant known as Alpha. The variant is blamed for a five-fold increase in the UK since June 1. The rising fears about the Delta variant come as new coronavirus cases in Michigan are at their lowest levels since just weeks after the pandemic began. Now, just yesterday, I happened to notice uh, Newsmax says more than 1,000 new COVID cases hit Missouri and Arkansas for the third day, the surge being blamed in part on the Delta strain. I'm going to say it again. I'm not trying to depress you. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just reporting what's out there, and I'm reporting it for a reason. I'm born and raised uh, in the city of Chicago. That's my hometown. And uh, what I'm about to read has been par for the course since I was a little kid, except expanded exponentially nowadays. It's un unbelievable. This is from Chicago Tribune, uh, June 24th. Chicago shootings and murders stay elevated through the first half of 2021. We've only been through about a half a year now, right? So far in 2021, shootings, incidents where at least one person was struck by gunfire, non-fatally or fatally, jumped by 12%. It was bad enough already. 1,438, meaning uh, almost 1,500 people shot in six months, from 1,283 in the same period last year, the statistics show. Time doesn't permit me to elaborate on you know the story. You've checked out the news, right? All the riots and all the violence going on in a lot of our major cities in the U.S., these and other things, such as increasing persecution of Christians, yes, 
even in the U.S., and that's an upward trend. This, and on and on I can go. I don't want to go any further, right? But I just want to point out there's enough out there to cause us to worry. And if we are worriers by nature, that's our default mode. We don't have to look around. There's plenty of material to feed that mode, right? Anxiety, worry, stress, anxious thoughts weigh down the heart. And as I mentioned, all of us probably have either family members, friends, coworkers, or all the above who are just overwhelmed with anxiety, who have a heavy heart. And the question is, how do we help them heal? And as I mentioned, our Savior has prescribed a wonderful cure for a heavy heart. God has prescribed a cure for a heavy heart. So we're asking the question, what causes a heavy heart? And we've seen the answer now, anxious thoughts weigh down the heart. Second question, this is where I really want to go, which is, what cures a heavy heart? And the answer we'll see in the text as well. The answer is, encouraging words cheer up the heart. Encouraging words cheer up the heart. If you look at the last part of the verse there, 1225, it says, but a good word makes it, or him, makes the heart, or his heart, glad. Now let me just pause for a moment and at least give you my understanding of the Proverbs. They're inspired by God. They carry full authority. There are no errors in any proverb. But I believe they are general principles. What I mean by that, God in effect is saying, if you do this, this will be the outcome, generally speaking. That said, there are exceptions because life is complex and there are other intersecting principles we need to consider, right? It's not healthy to just get tunnel vision on one principle and exclude others. It's better to try and harmonize the principles together. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not what? Depart from it, right? Generally speaking, that's true. But do you know of somebody who was raised in a Christian home where the parents were godly parents, not perfect, none are, but they've had a godly upbringing and they walked away from Christ? Maybe a family of four, three of them got saved, they're still living for Christ in their older years now, and one went off the deep end, got involved in a cult or something worse. What happened there? Wait a minute, I thought this was a promise. No, it's not a promise. It's a general principle. And yes, it normally works, but there are other things to consider as well. So I want to point that out because we're gonna begin with this principle, but what I want to say there is if you are trying to help somebody who is depressed, heavy in heart, start here, but they may also need, if they have some clinical depression, they may need a counselor. They may need uh, additional help. So let's make sure we don't give them a guilt trip when they get that help, right? We start with the Word of God, but God has given people wisdom to help others, and they're trained in certain areas. Let's not uh, isolate that, but rather let's take advantage of it, okay? So that's my little pause there just to let you know where I'm coming from with regard to this verse here. It's the Word of God. I believe this is a God-ordained cure for a heavy heart. And so the first question is now with the second phrase, well, what is a good word? Is it 
Cubs win, 15 to zero. That's a good word to me, I'm a Cubs fan, I love it. But it's not a good word for the other team, it's not a good word universally, right? So what is a good word? Well, here's some various translations. Some would say, I have but a good word. Some would say, a kind word, but an encouraging word makes the heart glad. Ross refers to this quote as an encouragement, kindness, and insight. Saying that which the person needs to gain the proper perspective and renew hope and confidence. What does a depressed person need, among other things, renewed hope, confidence, and perspective. Because often when we are fretting and actually freaking out, we are probably obsessing on one potential problem. Sometimes these problems don't even come to pass. But nevertheless, we're so focused on that, that becomes life itself. And if that happens, I'm just going to die. Not realizing that life is a lot bigger than just that one issue. And that thing may or may not come to pass, but you will survive it. And there are other good things to be focusing on, right? That's a way to help somebody. Waltke describes this as, quote, speech that effectively offsets the threat that produces the damaging anxiety. Think of these qualifiers here now. Personal and kind, pleasant and sweet, Timely and, I like this word, thoughtful. Has your mom ever told you, hey, think before you speak? Have you ever done the opposite? I'm sure I have many times. Wish you can take those words back, right? So before you approach someone, obviously pray. Make sure you're in the word. But think, what would be the best way, based on what I know of this person and what might be going on in their life, what would be the best way to approach them, approach them thoughtfully. Now, go like this and snap your fingers because I want your fingers to uh, get involved in this here. I don't want you to, to get writer's cramp. If you have a pen or a pencil, I've got quite a few verses for you. I want you to study these later on. So I'm just gonna give you the references. I'll read them, you don't have to turn. First one is Proverbs 15:28. It says, the heart of the righteous ponders, that is, thinks about thoughtfully, how to answer. <clears throat> so make sure you're thinking first, praying, before you approach the person you would like to help. <clears throat> Proverbs 25:11, like apples of gold, if you can picture a beautiful silver platter, like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. Right circumstances are important. Like right there, the right circumstance to drink this water was just at that pause right there. So um, analyze what's going on in the person's life. Where have they been? Has a crisis occurred? What are they anticipating? Is it realistic? Are they just like magnifying it out of proportion? Think these things through, and maybe there's a particular portion of God's word that might be appropriate in their situation. You see, these good words, they're not just cliches. They're not bumper sticker slogans that we just thoughtlessly throw out at people, hoping they'll land somewhere. But rather, we love these people, we actually care about what's going on in their lives, and we really want to be of some substantial help. So being thoughtful and being timely are key ingredients. Now, these words then are forged in prayer, 
and they overflow from a sympathetic heart. So another thing I would recommend is checking your heart, making sure your attitude is where it needs to be before you approach them. Look, they're hurting. We don't want to add to their hurt, right? So for your notes, write it down. First Peter chapter 3, 8 and 9. Peter says, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, all great qualities before we approach somebody who's hurting. And then negatively, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. So let's use our words to speak a blessing to those who need it. It's amazing what God will do as we minister his word to others. For your notes, Isaiah 50 and verse 4, and I pray this verse will encourage you. It's very encouraging to me. Isaiah 50 and verse 4, we're asking the question, how can I help? I don't know what to do. I feel helpless. I really want to help. What can I do? Here it is. Isaiah 50 verse 4, the Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples. Now listen to this that I may know how. We just asked the question, how do I approach this person? I I lack know-how. The Bible's telling us we can possess know-how. That I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. In other words, you and I, we can learn how to encourage others with our words. You say, well, I don't have the gift of encouragement. I'm not an encourager. Well, you can change that. That's the good news. All of us have probably, raise your hand if you've never encouraged anybody in your entire life, including family members. I'd like to see that hand. Right, you've all encouraged somebody at some point, right? We have that capacity. I guess it's more in the realm of the will. Are we willing to do it? Because I think the knowledge is available here. The training is available as well. A lot of this just comes by practice. Honestly, the lion's share of the work is honestly having genuine compassion for that person. If the compassion's there, that will compel you to want to help them. And what I'm saying is we can learn this and we have the resources to help. God's doing the bulk of the work here, by the way. We're just his compassionate mouthpiece, really. For your notes, Proverbs 12, 25, but a good word makes it, makes the heart glad. And that's what we want to see, right? Encouraging words cheer up the heart. Proverbs 15, 23. You getting writer's cramp yet? Hang in there. A man has joy in an apt answer, and how delightful is a timely word. Well, you say, preacher, I'm tracking with you, but I don't know. I mean, are you overrating words? I mean, just say the word and poof, the person's healed. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is words are powerful. If you're a Christian here, I know for a fact, however you got saved, the word of God was involved somewhere. Either somebody shared the gospel with you, you heard it on the radio, you read it in the Bible yourself, but the word of God, the means he uses to bring people to himself, of course the agent is the Holy Spirit and the human being who's the mouthpiece. The word, the good word from the good book was involved in totally transforming your life. Now you tell me if words do not have impact. Lives have been changed. Countries have been changed by words. Even in military, there's stories about World War II. A certain speech roused this nation, and boom, that turned the tide of the war. Mere words? Not really. 
Yeah, there are cheap bumper sticker slogans. We're talking about words with a lot of gravity. And these words, I would argue, bring healing and, dare I say it, life, spiritual life. Sound like I'm overrating it? Well, this is not my opinion. Let's hear it. It's in the Bible. Write these down, please. Proverbs 16:24. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and here it is, healing to the bones. The Bible says words can bring healing. These are the tools we're going to use, right? Further, and more dramatically, Proverbs 15:4, a soothing tongue is a tree of, yes, life. It's a tree of life. So the Bible teaches that good words from the good book bring healing and life. Let's use them prayerfully, relying on the Spirit of God. But we have the resources. Now you're probably wondering then, what should be the content we use to those who have a heavy heart? What is it composed of? What's the content? Should we read some Shakespeare to them or some Hallmark cards, just some poetry? No, we're going to start with the Word of God. What is the content? I would argue the best place to start is with God's breathed out, God's inspired promises given to us. This one you must write down. This is an awesome verse. Josh 23, 14. Joshua 23, 14 says this. You know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of all the good words, and that's what we're speaking, good words, which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have been fulfilled for you, and not one of them has failed. So that's where we want to start in terms of content with God's good promises. God's word is the best source of encouragement. My opinion, nope, Isaiah says it. If you want it, Isaiah 35, three and four. Here's the word, encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious heart, and that's our audience, the ones we're trying to help, take courage, fear not. Behold, God will save you. Now, there are too many promises for me to recite, but I'm going to give you some samples here. I would encourage you to speak the following promises to encourage the anxious. You can just write down the reference. You don't have to look it up. Hebrews 13 and verse 5. 13, 5. For God himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. For those who feel lonely, abandoned by family, abandoned by the world, abandoned by close friends, and sometimes that gets magnified out of proportion. Nobody loves me anywhere. I'm all alone. I might as well be in the desert. No, wait a minute now. God loves you, and God will not desert you. 1 Peter 5, 7, some people are carrying all these burdens on their shoulder and the anxiety they're bent over, right? And Peter's saying, you don't have to do that. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he actually cares, yes, for you. Yes, you. He cares for you. So take that off your shoulders and give it to him. He's stronger. He can carry it. The words of Jesus, Matthew 28, 20. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end 
of the age. And speaking of the end of the age, the book of Revelation 2.10. Be faithful until death, and I promise I will give you the crown of life. You see, encouraging words cheer up the heart. Some more content would be what I would call prophetic literature. Some use the fancy word eschatology. It impresses people more. But future things, right? A good chunk of the Bible, about a quarter or maybe a third, depending who you talk to. You say, but that's all that future stuff for down the road. I've got that filed away in my file cabinet for when I get there in the future. No, wait a minute. Listen carefully. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18. Paul writes, for the Lord himself, Jesus actually in person, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And what will happen? Why is Paul writing this? Because the Thessalonians were wringing their hands. They were anxious. You see, they had dead aunts and uncles and cousins who died in Christ. And they thought, oh, they missed out on the rapture. This is awful. They're not going to be raptured. Because when Christ comes back, those of us who are alive, we're going to be raptured. But our deceased loved ones, oh, this is terrible. Paul says, wait a minute, let me, let me correct that thinking. Listen to what he says here. Not only did they not miss the rapture, but he says, the dead in Christ, your dead aunt, uncle, and cousin, will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them, with our dead aunt, uncle, and cousin, in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Cool. Put that in your file cabinet. Let's all go to lunch. Ready? Where do you want to go? No, no. There's more. There's a command at the end. I want you to ask yourself, when is the last time I used this command, it's not a suggestion, to do what God wants me to do? Here it is. Therefore, now that you know about this future event called the rapture, therefore, comfort one another with these words. Which words? These words that just describe the future event. So we have a case where a future event should have a present impact on our living today. One of many reasons why you don't hear a lot of prophecy in our world today is because people think it's all that pie-in-the-sky future stuff. I'm so naive, I think it has a present impact on my spiritual health. It's a blessed hope, a happy hope. I'll be blessed, right? and so much more. Purifying hope, I'm going to purify my life. If Christ is coming back this second, my face is in the carpet and I'm confessing every known sin because here he comes. See, it has a present impact. It's not just a future thing. Jesus' teaching on the rapture is balm for a heavy heart because it gives us perspective. This thing I'm going through, it shall pass. There's a terminus point to present history. History is his story and he's going to rearrange it later on. For your notes, John 14, Jesus speaking of the rapture, I believe. Some disagree with me. That's fine. John 14, do not let your heart be troubled. Who are we addressing? People with a troubled heart. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me, Jesus. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. Look, if it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now that should bring peace to somebody who is worried and fretting about their future. God's got it covered. He's telling you in advance how it's going to turn out. And it ends well for the Christian. It ends 
exceedingly well for the Christian. He says, appropriately, peace I leave with you, my shalom I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you, not that temporary stuff. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You see, encouraging words cheer up the heart. Let's not undersell the word of God. It's got power in it, right? For example, I believe that these good words from God's good book, God's promises, can be used to encourage prayer. And what does a fretting person need? Somebody who's really uh, anxious. They need prayer, don't they? I mean, they should be praying, processing these worries that they have in the presence of God. That's a great place to be. For your notes, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for no thing. Be anxious for nothing. You check that out in the Greek. It means nothing. Nothing. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, positively now, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Cool. Now let's go to lunch. We're done. No, no, not yet. Because there's a promise there. If we walk away and go to lunch, as good as that lunch is, we're going to deprive ourselves of an awesome promise. Here it is, from God to you. He's as good as his word. He's as good as his character. He says, if you do what I just said, and the peace of God, the shalom of God, which surpasses all comprehension, you won't even get it. Others will look at you, they're not going to get it. Based on your circumstances, why are you so peaceful? I don't get it. Are you on drugs? What's your problem? No, no. I've got the peace of the Lord. His peace is flooding my mind and my heart. The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We said already this all begins in the mind, right? That should be good enough, but I've got more, my friends. You see, these good words, these encouraging words, can be used for evangelism. Now think of the unbeliever who is fretting and worried about all the problems in our world today. What's the first thing they need before lunch? They need Christ, right? They need to receive Christ as Savior. Turn with me to Acts chapter 16. I'm sure you're familiar with this particular scene. Acts 16, I'm just going to read portions of it. And think in terms of good words and their result and how do they promote evangelism. Look at 16, verse 25. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. They're, they're in jail, my friends, and they're singing. What's up with that? And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. So thinking that the prisoners had escaped under his watch, the jailer would be subject to a death sentence by Rome for dereliction of duty. In his mind, if these prisoners escape, he's looking at death. Why let them do it? I'll just take my own life. Now, does his heart have peace? This is high anxiety, isn't it? This man is worried. And so looking at verse 28, 
But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights, that is the jailer did, called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Remember, he heard them praising God. He heard their prayers. That was a witness. Hey, these people believe there actually is a God and he's listening. And how crazy for them. I've never had prisoners do this before. Usually they're depressed and down and out. 31, <clears throat> they said, believe, one word, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Now, for those who are under conviction, there are no sweeter words than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Finally, look at verse 32. And they spoke the word, the good word from the good book. They spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. They shared the good word with the entire family. And he, the, the jailer, took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. They all believed. Now look at the contrast. Verse 27, the jailer was about to kill himself. Verse 34, he rejoices Greatly, this suicidal jailer's heavy heart was transformed into a joyful heart. What happened between those two scenes? One minute he's about to kill himself. Next minute, he's as happy as punch, if there is such a thing. What happened? Well, he heard the good word from the good book. Can you see here that encouraging words? Cheer up the heart. Now, if you're tracking with me so far, I'm glad about that, but you might be thinking, you know what, preacher, and I don't mean to be selfish, that's not where I'm going with this, but I gotta be honest with you, I wanna help others, but my tank is empty. I've got no one in my world to encourage me. I don't have any cheerleaders in my world. Nobody's encouraging me, and I need my tank to be full so I can go out and serve and help heal other people. How do I do this? Well. It's gonna sound cliche, but I mean it sincerely. I would say first thing you do, talk to God. That's always the first place to go. Talk to God. So I'll give you a couple verses here. Psalm 56, one and three. He's talking to God. Be gracious to me, O God, for man has trampled upon me. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. Psalm 119, 149. Hear my voice according to your loving kindness. Revive me, O Lord, according to your ordinances. So talk to God. You say, well, I've done that. Okay, well, there's one more thing I'd like you to do, and that is talk to yourself. Talk to myself. When people talk to themselves, don't they need to see a counselor? Now, talking to yourself, I do it all the time. It's fun. And the reason I do it, because I have an interesting audience and a very intelligent speaker and everything works out great, you know? I mean, it's just, ask Kathy about that. Yeah, intelligent audience and a very compelling speaker. But anyway, all joking aside, this is biblical, it really is. This verse, uh, if you didn't write anything down, please write this one down. This one's gold. 
They all are, but this one's really, really powerful. Psalm 42, verse 5. Ask yourself, who's the psalmist talking to here? Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. He's giving himself a spiritual pep talk. That's a healthy thing to do. Talk to God first, but then talk to yourself. Psalm 118, verse 6. The Lord is for me. I will not fear, he's telling himself. Isn't that great? Can you see that encouraging words cheer up the heart, even if it's your own heart? This comes from England, Northumbria Police press release from 2018. The true story actually happened. You can check this out on the web. There's photos, etc. Reads like this. Uh, teenagers' written encouragements help save lives. A teenager with a heart to help has received a commendation for her efforts, which local officials say have helped save at least, count them now, Sesame Street, five and one is six, you math majors, thank you, that we know of. There might be more, but at least six people have been saved through her compassionate efforts. Paige Hunter, 18, has written more than 40 heartfelt notes of encouragement. Attaching each of them to the railings of the Wearmouth Bridge in Northumbria to provide a critical boost for those who might be in the midst of a mental health crisis. So apparently this is a bridge where when people are at the end of their rope, they want to end it all. They go to the bridge and sadly many jump off. And so she saw this and thought, I gotta do something about this. And what does she use? Guns? Money? Words. And you can go on the web and see these. She wrote these posters out and laminated them because, you know, it rains a lot in England, a lot of fog. So here's just a sampling of some of the notes that she hung on the bridge there. Some are very simple. It just says, you're not alone. Another one says, even though things are difficult, your life matters. You're a shining light in a dark world, so just hold on. Another note reads, Put your hand on your heart. Can you feel it? That's called purpose. You're alive for a reason, so don't ever give up. For her work and the impact it's made in the lives of quite a few people, Hunter was recently issued an official commendation by the Northumbria Police Force. Councillor McDonoghue said this, quote, tonight we can take a step forward in ensuring that signs will always be there offering messages of hope. This is what we're trying to convey to people. To those who think that the world has given up on them and encouraging them to get the support they need. Paige herself said this, remember she's 18 years old. When I started the notes of hope on the Wearmouth Bridge, People message me telling me how much they have been helped by those notes and how they had saved them from attempting, she means attempting suicide. I just want to encourage people to talk and want to show people that they are not alone. Brothers and sisters, God has prescribed a cure for a heavy heart. And we've been asking what causes a heavy heart? We've seen it in the text, anxious thoughts, way down the heart. And then we've asked, what cures 
a heavy heart. We've seen that in the text as well. Encouraging words cheer up the heart. I really believe the church of Jesus Christ can make a major difference in the lives of many people if we would just willingly reach out in love and trust God for the rest. You don't have to be an Einstein in this area. And as I said, you can learn. Just have a number of verses in mind. Pray, be thoughtful. And if your heart's filled with compassion, go out there and trust God and let him do what he wants to do. And then just stand back in awe at how awesome God is, how he changes lives for the better. Horton wrote this, what a different world this would become if we all spoke as many pleasant words as we honestly could and were not so painfully afraid of showing what tenderness and pity and healing actually exist in our hearts. The Word of God says that God has prescribed a cure for a heavy heart. And so doctors, small d, let's get out there and start writing some prescriptions, okay? And reaching out to people. Let's speak to the author, shall we? Double blessing, I'm gonna give you a benediction. First of all, from Numbers. Father, thank you for what you've taught us from this one short proverb. It's chock full of wisdom. I pray you'd motivate and equip each of us to reach out in love and trust you for the results. And now the benediction from number six. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you shalom. And then from Romans 15. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.